Well, today I want to share with you and finish off a psalm. If you have your Bible, grab it, please, and turn to Psalm 78. We're going to go in through this psalm. It's taken us, this will be the fourth week to uh, get through this psalm. Psalm 78, page 488, if you want to use this Bible sitting in front of you. We've spent the last few weeks understanding how God has in our lives and how he still continues to work in our lives. And if there was one three-letter phrase that would sum up the Bible or maybe that could even sum up your life, it would be this, that he did it, that God did it. That's the story of the Word of God. That's the story of all humanity. That's the story of your life and my life as well, that God did it. And we're going to look at that again today. We're going to hear some stories from you. Some of you have shared those stories with us, and, and uh, you will share them. One of the things we are working on and considering is how God has performed wonders worth remembering. God has performed great wonders worth remembering. He's done this in your life. He's done this recently. He's over the years. As we open up the Word of God, we look back and, yeah, God has always performed wonders worth remembering. And we're going to see that again today as we finish this psalm, Psalm 78. We're finishing up a year of ministry. Our school, Albany Christian School, finished its year. We're uh, closing down some things, and our fifth graders are becoming middle schoolers. Our eighth graders are becoming high schoolers, things like that. And uh, this next week, we will, as we have Youth Sunday, and it will be a special day led by our youth. If today is Look Back Sunday, next Sunday is kind of Look Ahead Sunday. And so we are going to have a good time today remembering some things, some of your stories, remembering God's faithfulness. So if you would, grab your Bible, Psalm 78. I want to finish this psalm with you, but I'm going to take you back a little bit because some of this stuff is just so good it's worth repeating. I really want to share four thoughts with you. If you're taking notes, you'll see there are four thoughts that I want us to consider today. But let's start by reading verse 5. Follow along as I read Starting at verse 5, speaking of God, and this is some of what he, he established, a testimony in Jacob. This is uh, this man who God says, I'm going to use you and I'm going to change your name to Israel. And he appointed a law in Israel, this group of people. He commanded our fathers to teach to their children that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn. And arise and tell them to their children. Catch this in verse 7. So that they should set them in God. And not forget the works of God. But keep his commandments. And that they should not be like their fathers. A stubborn and rebellious generation. A generation whose heart was not steadfast. Whose spirit was faithful to God. As we've been looking at this the last few weeks. We said this. That the psalmist is saying. Let me tell you Israel of some of your history of your people. But we're going to take this to also speak to our own hearts. That one of the things we're called to do. Is to look back at God's To look back at God's faithfulness. In fact, here's what I'd like you to do as you write this down. With your free hand, I'd like you to just point back. Go ahead and do this. Let me see this. And the idea is that we are called to look back in faithfulness. To look back in your week, your last year. Look back over your lifetime. This is what we're doing. We're looking back on the history of the nation of Israel. To look back at God's faithfulness. What we see when we look back, and as we've seen in this psalm, is that the history of us is failure. The history of us, if you look back at your last year, last 
part of your life, you'd say, oh man, there's so much failure. This psalm is not about man's failure. Your life is not your failure. This psalm and your life is really about God's faithfulness. And you and I are called to look back at God's faithfulness. Look back at his faithfulness. He did it. Now last week we looked at verse 56. Skip over there. One more thought before we start something new here. This is just catching you up. Last week, verse 56, there's this cycle. God is faithful and man keeps failing. And God is faithful and the nation of Israel keeps failing. Verse 6, yet they tested and rebelled against the Most High God. And they did not keep his testimonies. But they turned away and acted treacherously like their fathers. They twisted like a deceitful bow. For they provoked God to anger with their high places. They moved him to jealousy with their idols. And if one of the things we're called to do is to look back at God's faithfulness, another thing we're called to do is we see in this is that we're to look into your heart. Would you write this down and consider this with me? And then go ahead and just tap your heart. You are to look into your heart. So we are to look back at God's faithfulness, but we're to look at our own heart because here's the problem. Yes, God is faithful, and we keep messing it up. You keep messing it up. I keep messing it up. And we're to look into our heart and examine our lives. One of the words we gave you last week, and you down, is the word confess. The idea is that you would have the same opinion about your sin that God has for that sin. It's not just, yeah, I wasn't very nice. No, I was selfish. I did not consider God's stance. In essence, I was spitting in God's face. And I'm sorry, Lord, this is, I'm telling you the truth, that my sin was against my spouse, my family, against my church, but it was ultimately against you. And I failed you. That's to have this same opinion, this same word of truth about what you did. Every once in a while I hear people say this, and I think I say it at times like this, when we talk about our sin, it's like, well, nobody's perfect. Now, I'm an A kid. That's when I grew up and graduated from high school. We kind of had a phrase for when someone says something like, so obvious as nobody's perfect, we'd say, no, duh, all right? And some, this is not confession. Well, no one's perfect. No, duh. Man, it's so fun to say. Go ahead and say that. No, duh. Okay, that's not confession. That's stating the most obvious thing. Yes, no one is perfect. We, that's not confession. Confession is, you know what? I was selfish, and I stubbornly want my, wanted my own way. I was rebellious, and I had no regard for you. I put myself before you. I went my own way. I gossiped at you. I said, this is confession. Not, well, nobody's perfect. No, duh, we know that. But when you look into your heart, you confess. If you want another word, we confess and we do not cover. We do not cover. Now, we're good at this. We're good like Adam and Eve of when we sin, covering that up, trying not to let anybody else see that. But confession says, I'm not going to cover that. In fact, we can confess because God already has covered. This is what the death of Jesus did. It covered our sins. When you said, Jesus, I need the forgiveness of sins, he says, I've completely covered you. You don't have to cover anymore. You just confess it. You just acknowledge it. You speak the truth of what you've done. So look at your heart. And don't be afraid to tell your family, I was wrong. I was selfish. I went my own way. I sinned against you. I've sinned against God. I'm just going to acknowledge the truth. I'm not going to cover it. I'm not going to make an excuse for it. 
And I'm certain to say, well, nobody's perfect because we'd all say what? No, duh. All right, man, I just like that. 80s, sorry. All right. Verse 59. This then is new today. Here's this idea again. God is faithful. We continue to sin. God has been faithful. Humanity, we're broken. Verse 59. When God heard of all of this going on, he was full of wrath. He utterly rejected Israel, this nation that he had loved, that he had chosen. He forsook his dwelling at Shiloh, the tent where he dwelt among mankind. He said, I'm just not going to be there. He delivered his power to captivity. So he was in charge and he says, I'm just going to allow my people to be taken captive. Goes on to say then, he let his glory be to the hand of the foe. I'm just going to let someone else take my people. Verse 62, he gave his people over to the sword and vented his wrath on his heritage fired their young men, their young women had no marriage song, their priests fell by the sword, and their widows made no lamentation. This is a discouraging part of the psalm. But there's this part where God says, you know what, there are times we'll allow consequences in your life. For your sin, I will allow consequences. I'm going to allow you to suffer so that you would hopefully turn. I tried to get you to turn to me out of kindness and kindness and kindness, and you didn't get it. So there will be a time where your consequences are just going to have to be. There are dark seasons in our lives. Israel experienced some of those. Seventy years of captivity taken by another people group. Yeah. Kicked out of our home for 70 years. Yeah, there's a time, dark seasons. But listen, there are dark seasons in your life, right? There are dark years. Maybe you feel like most of your life has been a dark season. And as I'm looking at this, there are when we get so discouraged by the dark seasons. Israel was discouraged by this dark season. Sometimes it's not just discouragement or that our face is downcast, but sometimes we just get flat out depressed. It's a clinical depression. Sometimes you need to go to a doctor and get some medical attention for yourself. When you start saying things like, it seems like nothing is going right for me, you're in a dark season. You need to acknowledge that you share this with others. Sometimes you get so discouraged and sometimes you say things like this, nobody likes me, everybody hates me, guess I'll go eat worms. That's a discouraging season. We can all get there at times. But I want you to know that God allows these dark seasons. And sometimes he orchestrates these dark seasons. And sometimes he do this out of discipline. Sometimes he would say, you know what? You didn't learn. When I was kind to you, you didn't learn. When I was kind to you again, you didn't learn. When I showed my goodness to you, you didn't learn. When I showed my faithfulness to you, you didn't learn. I'm going to allow or orchestrate seasons in your life as discipline. Sometimes it is because of that. But I know this, it's always because he's training us. It's always these dark seasons. He always allows them to train us for godliness. He says, I'm going to experience some difficulties, and it might have nothing to do with your sin just because I want to train you for godliness. I want to get your attention. I want to get your heart. Some of this was happening with the nation of Israel. Another phrase for you then. Where do I look here? And I want you to say this with me. Look up for your hope. Look up for your hope. I want you to write this. I want you to point up. If we're called to look back at God's faithfulness and look into heart, you're also called to look up for your hope. To look up. 
to look up. As I received many of your stories over the last few weeks, I was noticing that these were great stories, but they usually sit in dark places. The best stories sometimes start out of the darkness. The bright light shines the brightest when the, when the rest of the sky is pitch black. Notice how some of these stories started. This is just from our church family here. I'm just going to read a couple sentences of a few stories. Last year I recognized a staleness in my relationship with God that felt near death. I wasn't sure that I cared. It's dark time. I found out that my husband had an addiction. I felt like a failure. I was frozen with anxiety that I had never felt. That sounds like dark season. This last year has been one of the most difficult years of my life. Wow. Here's another one. God has brought me through a year of feeling unappreciated, unworthy, and alone. Or one more. A year ago, I was dry and worn out from a difficult year. And another year of busyness lay ahead of me. There are dark seasons in our life. We see this with the nation of Israel. And some of you would say, well, that's how my story started out. That's how my story sounds. And you can either downcast or you can look up. This is a choice you have. You can either look down at your problems or you can look up for your hope. Write this passage down. I want you to look this up this week. This psalm, Psalm 42. Psalm 42. I want you to look this up. The psalmist is just struggling with the feelings of being downcast. He says, oh, why are you downcast, oh, my soul? Why so disturbed within me? I just feel beat up. I feel out. I'm just so discouraged. Why? That's a choice we have to feel that. But he also says this, the psalmist, as if he's looking up, as if he's preaching the gospel to his own heart. He's preaching the good news of the Lord. He says this, he says, but I will put my hope in God. I will look up above this and put my hope in God. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Oh, put your hope in God. He comes back, why are you downcast, O my soul? Oh, hope in God. And here's the key is to look up, to look up for your hope. I know that you feel downcast and discouraged. A lot of our stories start that way. But you have a choice for your hope. I'm going to start by having Roanne Berge, our women's ministry director, read three stories today. And these are stories of people saying, this is where God has taken me this last year. And there's downcast and descent in it. But you will hear that there is looking up for hope. And when we finish each story, I want you to give time because we're going to clap like crazy because God did this. Roanne, please read. I'm reading these stories of people who could not be here today. The first one, my most prized and cherished possessions started walking on the wrong path and turning away from God. He gave me this opportunity to press in him, his word, his people to a depth I can't even articulate. The mere value of my children's souls put me literally prostrate before God. There is no better place than completely hum desperate at the foot of holiness. Over time, he has lifted my head and very lovingly said, Look, there is a much bigger realm to live in. Come over here for a while. Be involved in my work. Let me bring you peace, contentment, joy, fulfillment in other ways apart from your children for a while. <clears throat> 
August 3rd, 2017, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. As I contemplated this news, I found I was not afraid. God had shown me 12 years ago I was in his care. So I worry. He would heal me, most likely through the medical community, or he would take me home, and either was okay. After a lumpectomy and an oops, we need to go back and take a bit more. Second lumpy, I was found, or I was faced with 30 radiation treatments, followed by possible chemotherapy, which test results would reveal in three weeks. It was during this time I was out for a morning walk. I found myself telling God just what I would and would not do. It's a pride thing, but no woman, even those with bad hair day, wants to lose her hair. So I was explaining to God that I wasn't okay chemotherapy. While it dawned on, when it dawned on me what I was doing, I mentally got on my knees, asked for forgiveness, and laid it all before him. A few days later, I received word not require chemotherapy. I'm using this opportunity to hopefully encourage others and most assuredly give God all the glory. God is faithful. This person titled their story, Past, Present, Future. There is a saying, show me your friends, I'll tell you your future. I had no friends other than my drug dealer, not that I wanted any friends, I just wanted to be left alone. I didn't want to be bothered and I didn't want to bother anyone. My future, every idea, job, every time I had success or came close to being somebody, I sabotaged it. Alcohol and drugs and isolation became my close friends. The very thing that was killing me is just seeked. I'm 52 years old and been using since age nine. I soon became a prisoner in my mind, a place I could not escape. Voices that were louder than my own thoughts, I just drank all the more to squash the noise in my head. It wasn't until I surrendered all that my flesh was demanding of me to Almighty God. That's when I realized it was Him, the Holy Spirit, that was who that who was trying to communicate with me. God was guiding me this whole time long before I surrendered. Before I was born, God was and is there for me. Jesus' blood on the cross is what washed all that sin away of mine to pave a road so his spirit could guide me to Abba, guided for his glory. Amen. I was blessed to get to read many of these stories over the last few weeks, and I simply say three words, he did it. Do you want to say that with me? Go ahead. He did it. This is the story. God does these things. I'm going to have you hear a few more stories in just a bit, but here we are looking at, look back at God's faithfulness. Go ahead and do this again with me. Come on. Look back at God's faithfulness. Okay. Look into your heart. Look into your, hear that in those three letters. They're looking into their heart. And then look up for your hope. Go ahead. Look up for your hope. Look up for your hope. Now let's finish this psalm. Let's finish this psalm to show that God is at work. And he was for the nation of Israel. He is their hope. Verse 65 says this. 
Then the Lord awoke as from sleep, like a strong man shouting because of wine. That's not the uh, typical description we God, is it? <laughs> like a strong man shouting because of wine. And he put his adversaries to rout. He put them to everlasting shame. God is working. He's like, I'm going to fight for my people. I am. I'm going to fight for them. I'm going to for this church. I'm going to fight for them. Verse 67 says this. And you have to know some of the history of Israel, and so I'll try to give some of this briefly. Verse 67, he rejected the tent of Joseph. That was part of the nation of Israel. He did not the tribe of Ephraim. That's another tribe of Israel. But he chose this one tribe, the tribe of Judah, Mount Zion, which he loves. And he built a sanctuary like the high heavens, like the earth, which he had founded forever. Verse 70, it says he chose. He chose. God chose David, his servant, And he took this man, David, took him from the sheepfolds, from following the nursing ewes. God brought him, that is David, to shepherd Israel, to shepherd his people, Israel and his inheritance. Real quickly, the psalmist is saying, I just want you to know this, that what God does is that God has a plan and he's going to choose and he's looking for hearts that are after his. David was after God's own heart and he says, I'm picking him. I'm not going to pick the most beautiful people. I'm not going to pick the strongest people. But I'm going to pick a people whose hearts are after mine. And this is what we see that God notices. God notices the heart. He does. And he gets involved. And he chooses the right person. For the nation of Israel, it was going to be David to restore this people, to restore this nation. But you see, God was not done. He wasn't done with Israel. They had sinned. He let them go into captivity, but catch this, he was not done. And I want you to know this for yourself today, that God is not done with your story. This is a phrase that God has given me in the last couple months, that he is not done. He's in my life. He's not done in my kids' life. He's not done in your life. He's not done in your marriages. He is not done. He wasn't done with this nation. He said, oh, I'm going to take one, and I'm going to work through him. Now, it's interesting that God says, I'm going to actually take one, and he's going to do more than lead a nation and restore a little kingdom. But I'm going to take one, and he's going to restore all humanity, and he's going to build the kingdom of God. And that was his son, Jesus. In fact, interesting, many people called Jesus, even though it was a thousand years later, many people called Jesus the son of David. The son of David. They said, oh, we know that this Jesus is from this line. And God said, I'm not done with you. I'm not done with your story. I'm going to take my very own son. He will take your place. You receive his forgiveness and he will restore all humanity. He will restore you. He will forgive your sins. He chose it. With an upright heart, David, he shepherded them and guided them with a skillful hand. And this is what God does through his son, Jesus. I'm going to raise my son, and he will be the good shepherd. He will be the good shepherd. You see, here it is this Jesus. He's really the one that God chose to shepherd us. You see, your story's not done. The nation of Israel, their story wasn't done because God was working. And I'm going to ask that you a few more stories of people in our church family because sometimes their stories start with, uh-oh. But that's not the end of the story with God. That's why we look back with faithfulness. We examine our hearts up for our hope. So I'm going to ask that you sit back and listen to a few more stories of hope in God.
I'm reading this for my friend Christine Smith, who is not able to be here today. She's at home taking care of her husband, who was in a bad accident this last week and has a broken leg and a broken hand. This is her year in a nutshell. It began with postpartum anxiety, medication, seeking security in things other than Jesus, and suicidal. But God intervened. A wake-up call by repetition of past experiences and the realization that her son needs her. Stepping back to quiet her soul. Digging in deeper with Jesus and his truth. He filled my longings, she says, with personalized experiences, conferences, cultivation of deeper friendships, a personal retreat, the blessing of another child, and a husband who wavered in his faith. The result, I am now opening my home once a month to a group of six women that God placed on my heart individually. Most did not know each other before, all at varying stages of belief and faith. I gathered them to talk about life, God, struggles, doubts and fears, and to just share the truth. After the first meeting, one gal told me privately, privately that she went home and did her own seeking. She then prayed to God out loud for the first time in her life. All I did, step out in obedience. God is doing all the work. I am blown away. I can't wait to see what he will do next. He is not done. For such a time as this, last year has been a time of significant change, a time of uncertainty and tough decisions. After almost 30 years of working for one employer, a constant in my life since before graduating high school, I am now following a different path. Choosing away from things I know and people I love has been one of the most difficult decisions in my life. But God has guided me through. In fact, he has been preparing me all of my life. God was saying to me, I've built you, carried you through trials, invested in you, developed your skills and character. The people that, I have, that have mentored you, the positions I have put you in, the knowledge you have been shown, the opportunities that you've been given, and to who you are now. I have placed specific people, events, and struggles in your life to grow you so that you can now be to others what others have been to you for such a time as this. Good morning, family. This last year, God has guided me through parenting my son, surgeries, and my continued recovery process, and now he and I working on finding a new place to live. God has guided me through these things financially, with perfect timing, with supportive friends and key individuals, and a wealth of resources. When things just come together so perfectly, I cannot deny that he's working in my life and showing me the way. I was able to get a much-needed hernia surgery that wasn't covered by my insurance. The whole process took a year to be approved, but I was able to get it done just in time before my financial assistance expired, three or four to be exact. And hey, it was 100% covered. There were so many people from my church family that helped me through that and my subsequent knee surgery six weeks later. I'm so grateful for who he places in my life. God provided everything I needed and some. I'm so blessed in so many ways, and I experience joy every single day. 
I just want to say thank you, God. You've been there all along. I know you will continue to be there, guiding me, nurturing me, and loving me. I love you. Happy Father's Day. In the last year and a half, God has worked wonders, bringing me through and grief, financial concerns, my personal health issues, some hurtful relationships, and finally, renewal and a new love. And don't think new love at age isn't scary, even when he's the dearest person God ever put on earth. I have witnessed over and over God's constant presence with me in the, and in the past, and what it's given me is certainty, absolute certainty, that no matter what happens in my future, he will do the same. My little bit of faith rests completely in him, and he is hugely faithful. When Scott first asked us to do this little project, I had no idea what I could add to this, but... Um, a certain song kept going over and over through my mind, and I, I want to read just a little bit of this song. It, this is my story. This is my song, and this is my praise to my Father. It's called, He Giveth More Grace, very old hymn. He giveth more grace when the burdens grow greater. He sendeth more strength when the labor is. To added afflictions, he addeth his mercy. To multiplied trials, his multiplied peace. When we have exhausted our store of endurance, when our strength has failed ere the day is happened, when we reach the end of our hoarded resources, our Father's full giving is only begun. His love has no limits. His grace has no measure. His power, no boundary known unto men. For out of the infinite riches in Jesus, he giveth and giveth, and giveth again. <laughs> and amen. <laughs> Dear God, first of all, I would like to thank you for the beautiful life you have created for me. Only by grace and unconditional love am I able to be reading this letter today. As you know, the past seven years of my life have been an absolute struggle for me. You have never left my side, and because of that, I am alive today. As I think back the last seven years of my life, it is easy for me to pinpoint all the destruction I have caused, not only to myself, but the other people around me as well. It is weird to me. The people I have hurt the most have been the people I have loved the most. It's you, Father. With that being said, I want to take some time and focus on your goodness and how you have been by my side even through my deepest struggles. God, as you know, and I, or God, as you and I both know, I have struggled for seven years now. I think back to August 5th, 2017. I was a young man in desperate need of you. You never left my side, but I did leave you. I turned my back on you. I knew you wanted me to turn back around on you, but I was not ready. Unfortunately, it took consequence after consequence in a DUI on August 5th, 2017 and a DUI on April 7, 2018, for me to realize I cannot do this journey alone. In fact, I remember the exact day I finally hit my knees and screamed out to you. On May 12, 2018, I finally hit my rock bottom. Yes, it did take a hospital visit for me to reach that point. 
But looking back at it now, I'm thankful for the hospital visit because it made me turn and face you. On August 5th, 2017, I was arrested for the first time in my life. I was charged with driving under the influence of intoxicants. On that day, you saved my life. After crashing my vehicle because of my intoxication, there was one single tree in the area. I somehow hit it. And that one tree saved me from falling down a seven-five-foot cliff, possibly to my death. For most people, that would have been the drag experience they needed to realize they were in desperate need of you. But for me, it wasn't. That takes me to April 7, 2018. Once again, my back was turned to you, and I decided to once again get in my vehicle while intoxicated. As most people driving intoxicated, my driving was poor. I was all over the road and on the edge of hurting myself or someone else because of the poor driving I was displaying. For some reason, I decided to go to the side of the road and take others and myself out of harm's way. This was not a conscious decision I made. It just happened. After being arrested for the second time in less than a year, I once again was in desperate need of you. Over a month later, my lawyer provided me with the police report from that night. After reading the report, I was in absolute shock. The police officer described my driving based on a witness description. It was not a pretty description, but that is not my eye in this report. During the conversation between the witness and police officer, at one point the witness mentioned to the police officer that as she was following me in her car, she was also praying to God that this young man driving drunk's car over to the side of the road before he killed himself or someone else. Let me remind you, I did pull my car over the side of the road for no reason at all. That witness was praying to God for me to pull over for the safety of myself and others. God answered her prayer. Once again, because of God's greatness, I am alive and well today. If there is any point to this letter, it is God loves us all, even when we are in our darkest times. He will truly never leave us. Here in church today, reading this letter, I can truly say I am sober and I am happy the happiest I've been in, my, in years, and that is 100% because God working in my life every day, not just on Sundays. Yes, there's many struggles in my life, but I would not change one thing that has happened to me because it ultimately took, to, took me to May 12, 2018, my rock bottom. All these struggles I have faced have made me the person I am today, finally starting to like the person inside of me for who he truly is. For the first time in my life, I am allowing God to join this journey of addiction with me, and he is taking the lead. Thank you. Be sure your sins will find you out. They did, March of 2016. Me, unfaithful, arrested, kicked out. Easter, repented, cleansed, healed. She forgave. Today, marriage healed, family restored, eyes on Jesus. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. My story of God's guidance became almost tangible two and a half years ago. My 27-year marriage was broken and my family was hurting and falling apart. At a time when I needed people the most, 
My friends, some of my family, and even my church at time abandoned me. All I had left was Jesus. He literally, the air I breathed when I felt my circumstances were suffocating. I lived in God's word, clinging to his promises. Scripture and worship songs came alive to me. Looking back at that time, I can see how God removed thing and almost everyone from me, so I, um, I only had him. It was only then that I was able to hear him tell me to forgive as he has forgiven and to see my husband the way he sees him. And with miraculous power, I have been able to do that. Walking in the obedience of forgiveness has brought restoration, not only in my marriage, but in my children. We are still experiencing the consequences this life of choices made years ago, but by the grace of God, we get to handle them together with an unmeasurable strength and unexplainable peace that only a minute-by-minute relationship with Jesus can provide. Our marriage is now a beautiful picture of the ongoing power of God's love, His amazing grace, His faithfulness, and His restoring and redeeming work in the lives of broken and hurting people. We are living and breathing the gospel, and I pray God continues to use our story for his glory. Thank you for sharing. Uh, Amazing. God's goodness. Do this again with me. Remember God's faithfulness. Remember God's faithfulness. Look in. Look into your heart. These stories are about looking in and seeing what was wrong and seeing our need. Look up. Go ahead and point. Look up for your hope. Look up for your hope. But as I'm hearing these stories, and I've been reading them for a few weeks now, and why? Why, God? Why is a question I have. Why would you allow difficulties? Some of the, those we bring on ourselves, but some of this, no, we didn't. Why, why do you allow these difficulties? But why are you so good to work good out of evil? And there are a lot of good thoughts in here. It's just, why, God? And I'm realizing that it's not just for us. God doesn't work in your life just for you. And he doesn't work in your life just for you. And he doesn't work in your life just for you. He is not doing this just for us so that we can say, God is good to me. That's not the end of this. I want you to write this phrase down with me, and it's the last one. Look out toward God's working. Look out toward God's working. Not look out for God's working. It's just look out and see how God might be working in your life and those around you. How could he, what's the potential of your story dared to bless others? thinking about this, the dark season even that Jesus experienced. Imagine if we were there the weekend where Jesus is crucified and we hear, he was arrested Thursday night. Judas sold him out. He's arrested. And we're like, no, no. And then Friday morning, they start beating him and we're like, no. And then all of a sudden, they nail him to a cross Friday morning. We're like, no, this is good. No. And he's on the cross for three hours, and he's breathing his last, and we're going, no. But I'll tell you what, God wasn't done with that story, was he? He was working. He was working. He was working Thursday when it looked terrible. He was working Friday morning when it looked terrible. He was working Friday night when they took that body and buried it. God was at work. 
God was working Saturday when they just figured his body was dead and it's going to remain there. But God's working. And you and I are called to look out for how God might be working, how God might be using this story, because Sunday's coming. Sunday's coming. I'll tell you, you and I live most of our lives in Thursday night and Friday in the dark, Saturday with death. That's where we're living, frankly, right now. But we know that Sunday's coming. And because of that, we're called to look out, to look out and see, where's God working? How could God even use darkness for His glory? Your story's not done. Your story's not done. It wasn't for Jesus, even though they crucified him. Your marriage that is struggling, that story is not done. The death of a loved one, that story is done. Your brokenness and addiction, your story's not done. Because we believe in a God who, though his son was crucified, he raises him to life. And this story's really not about you. The stories that we're reading, these aren't stories about us. They're about God, that he's doing this, and he's working. I'm going to ask that you listen to two more stories, because as I read their stories, it was, oh, yeah, God's in their lives, but God's using them to affect others' lives, and that's actually where this is going. Yeah, you look back and remember, and you introspect and look into your own heart, and you look up for hope, but you also look out because God is working. So I'm going to ask that you hear two more stories today. Just sit back, enjoy. We will give thanks to God for doing this. Let's listen. Uh, so I do have a story, much like the ones that you just heard, but that's not what I'm here to share. Um, shortly after becoming a believer in Jesus, I formed a burden upon myself of how I would witness to my family of non-believers halfway across the country, and this included the attendance of, of uh, family funerals. This last March, my brother Wayne, whom I assisted in meeting Jesus, passed. Knowing Wayne's ill condition, last November I attended his 50th wedding anniversary, receiving his blessing that I would not be attending his funeral. It was at celebration that anniversary that I realized God had a plan in which he would guide me through a process much more valuable in his glory um, than attending a, a simple home. God helped me write a letter that was read at the very forefront of the funeral, the very first thing to start the service. And in, in reading that letter, it was my family and all who attended to come to Jesus to join Wayne and me into the loving family of all of God's children. So on one, under one roof, my entire family, which I'm the youngest of eight, um, they were witness to, and many, many seeds were sown. Thank you. Excuse me, Philippians 1.6 is life to me. It reads, being confident of this, that he, and a good work in you, will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. The Lord brought his will to completion for my mom and let me be a part of it. I was saved in 1976 
and I couldn't tell if Mom's relationship with Jesus was personal or religious. 2012, dementia is setting in. The Lord guides us to care for her about her eternity. 2016, are you going to heaven? Her hope so becomes, yes, I am. My last moments with my mom, August 2017, we were singing, thank you, Jesus, for loving me, dying, rising, and the new life you give. He gives me perfect peace knowing my mom and dad are with him. He is mighty to save, and he loves us so. Zephaniah 317. Appreciate those stories. Just God's doing something in me, and even in the loss of someone I love, he's calling me to be a part of his working. God's working in us, through us. And so one more time, would you say these with me in your hand motions here? Look back at God's faithfulness. Go ahead. Oh, we're going to have to say this a little more passionately. Look back at God's faithfulness. Look into your heart. Look up for your hope. I don't even remember the last one. Look out for God's working. Very good. This is my prayer. As we finish up this psalm, that these would be places that we look in the coming days. And as we look back and in and up and out, God is going to be glorified. Here's how I'd like to finish our service today. I would like all the men in our come up here on the stage. I would like to say, share a few words with you on Father's Day. And then I'd like us to pray for you. So every man, please come up here on the stage. We've already given you a pepperoni stick, so come on, just... Do me a favor here. All right, get closer to the front. Come on, come on. We got room. We got some steps here. Scoot up, guys. Come on. Now, no, we got, we got guys, but we got room. Come on. <clears throat> Man, this is a good group of men. This is a, yeah, yeah. All right, you guys in the center, get close in. Come on, come on over here. Get up, right on the edge. Come on, come on, come on. I, I want to repeat these words to you today, and then I want us to pray for you. The ladies are going to join me in praying with you. Try to catch eye contact, if you would, because I want to speak these words to you. Men, this is what your wives need. This is what your children, your grandchildren need. This is what our church family needs. This is what our community needs. Men who will look back at God's faithfulness. Go ahead and do this again. Just don't poke the guy in the eye sitting in front of you. Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. All right, say this with me. I'll look back at God's faithfulness. Man, I'll tell you what, if we would do that, man, that is going to shape our today and tomorrow and many others. But not only that, I'll look into my heart. Go ahead and say that. 
I'll tell you what, if you become men who would examine our heart, if we would be quick to confess our sin, if we would not cover that up, but confess that to our kids, our grandkids, our wives, our friends, whatever that is, if you'd be quick to confess and not cover this up, God is going to us in a mighty way. But then we will do this. I'll look up. I'll look up for my hope. Go ahead. That's where you look. It's not your job. It's not your possessions. It's not your name. It's you up to your maker for hope. You look up to your savior for hope. You look up to him for any hope that you have in your marriage, in your life. You always look to him. Did we say that? Did you already say I'll look up for my hope? Say it again. It's a good one. And then lastly, I'll look out for God's working. Do this with me, if you would. I'll look out for God's working. I'll tell you what, this is what, again, your families need. This is what our church needs. This is what our community needs is men who will not be self-centered, men who will not say, I want what I want when I want it, not even on Father's Day, but they will say, you know what, I'm looking out for God's working and I'm going to be a part of that. And if we will do that, God is going to be glorified. Lives are going to be changed in our families, in our church. Men, look back, look in, look up, and look out. Ladies, would you please stand with me? Would you raise your out as we pray this prayer of blessing on these men? Pray with me, men. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day and this time to look into your word And to know that I'm one of these guys that is broken. And what I need and what my brothers need here today is to look back at your faithfulness. You have been good. And I ask that you help all my brothers here to look back at your faithfulness. God, that we would lower our hearts, that we would confess, that we would not cover this up. That we would be transparent to our families. We would acknowledge when we are wrong. God, I ask that you help us to look up. We need this, to look up to you, to look up hope. Our hope is not in us. Our hope is not in our job. It's not in the government. It's not in our bank accounts. Our hope is in you, in Jesus Christ, our solid foundation. Help us to be men who would look to you for our hope. Lastly, I ask that you help these men on this stage, that you'd help us to be men who would look out, that we would look out at our families, that we look out in our church, in our community, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, and say, you have placed me here for such a time as this to be a minister of your good news. So God, I ask a blessing on these men. Like me, they're broken. Like me, they're in need of your grace. God, pour out your grace as these are reaching out to them. Pour out your grace and your goodness in their lives so that they can look back, look in, look up, and look out. And we pray this all for your glory and for the sake of others and all of God's people said, Amen.